Hey everybody, Joseph here, one of the pastors at the First Presbyterian Church of Flint, and I wanted to welcome you to our sermon podcast, a show that features the latest sermons preached here at First Pres. But first, a little bit about us. The First Presbyterian Church of Flint is an historic downtown congregation, proudly part of the Presbyterian Church USA, the largest Presbyterian denomination in the United States. We have a vibrant and thriving ministry to our neighbors here in Flint and are engaged weekly in worship, faith formation, a dynamic ministry to kids and teenagers, and community building across generations. You can learn more at fpcf.org. You can check out our weekly live stream broadcasts on our channel on YouTube. But better yet, you can stop by any Sunday at 930 to worship with us. We'd love to welcome you and your family to worship. Now, here's this week's sermon. We're in Luke 14, starting in verse 25. Now large crowds were traveling with him, and he turned and said to them, Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and estimate the cost to see whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation it is not, and is not able to finish it, all who see will begin to ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish it. Or what king, going out to wage war against another king, will not sit down and first consider whether he is able with 10,000 to oppose one who comes against him with 20,000? If he cannot, then while the other is still far away, he will send a delegation and ask for the terms of peace. So therefore, none of you can be my disciple if you do not give up all of your possessions. The word of the Lord. You guys may be seated. Uh, And so as I close this morning, uh, just looking ahead to give you guys a little preview, Pastor Paul is going to bring his trumpet back out. It's going to be a raucous ending to this celebration this morning. Just wanted to give Paul a warning. We didn't talk about that before. All right. Well, good morning. It's a joy to be with you here in person and those of us joining online today in this beautiful Pier Michigan Labor Day weekend. My name is Josh, and as Pastor Joseph said earlier, I'm the director of our online liturgy here at First Presbyterian, so I'm usually back there with Uh, The good fellas, Jay and Glenn, back there taking care of things, so shout out to you guys. Like so many others, uh, on Labor Day weekend, it was full of traveling, whether going up north, wherever you may designate north in the lower peninsula here in Michigan. But for years, we would venture up to my Aunt Leslie and Uncle Lonnie's and up north. So many great memories of beach days, enjoying northern Michigan, shopping in Michigan towns, and too many laughs to count. Some of my family who made those trips are here this morning. And so now we can add to that list of Labor Day memories, preaching about hating your family. Good to see you guys this morning. (laughs) Thanks, thanks guys, yeah. um, 
brunch is going to be a little weird. But before we talk about that this morning, uh, we're going to unpack what Jesus is saying in this entire teaching here. Uh, we're going to talk about a few other things first. So we're going to talk about proximity, priorities, and have you seen the price of lumber these days? First, we're going to talk a little bit about amusement parks. Or where have you ever wanted to be at a place or experience or be around someone where you wanted to be closer? Whether to that person, to that, that something, uh, or that, that experience. Or so enamored with a place or person. I think I just broke something, but we're going we're gonna to keep rolling. All right. Um, I think of amusement parks when I think of large crowds and kind of people pushing to kind of get their way through. Um, and there's no more magical amusement park, certainly, than Disney. It took me to be an adult to get to Disney World in Florida. There's the characters. They're everywhere. You're having lunch, and all of a sudden there's Goofy. Uh, there's the different parks with their, with their overarching themes and their, their kind of sub-themes throughout. There's something for kids, adults, and the kids within adults everywhere. It's magical. And we went a few years ago, like I said, as an adult for the first time. Breakfast was interrupted by Winnie the Pooh. It was, it was wonderful. Um, early on our trip, we stopped for lunch. It was around lunchtime, so there were a lot of people doing the same thing that we were doing, ready to eat some food. And as our family is talking, enjoying the springtime in Florida, a fellow guest turns to my brother-in-law and I and kind of goes, can you believe these lines? Yeah, it's Disney World. Yeah, I can believe these lines, and it's lunchtime. We're all hungry. And in that moment of trying to bond, like, isn't this just crazy? We kind of begin to look around and notice around lunchtime, that's when the wheels come off at Disney for everyone. The excitement, some folks have been there and know exactly what I'm talking about. The excitement from entering the park and seeing everything and taking it all in is kind of worn off. Maybe your fast passes or the, the pass to skip lines has, have, have expired or you've used all of them. You're getting hungry, maybe a little cranky, maybe it's a little hot. When we begin to look around and kids in strollers were, were getting restless or tired, parents were trying to figure out which line was the shortest or moving the most efficiently. And begin to think, how can we get these kids back for a nap to recharge? The magic had worn off. Suddenly, the most magical place on earth got a little inconvenient. The luster of arriving, but the line's not moving fast enough. Part of the magic of these amusement parks and places similar to it is momentum. There's the excitement. It's like, oh, we, hey, get everything ready, get all our... You know, tickets, travel, all that sort of thing, ready to get everything packed, make sure we're wearing clothes that's appropriate for maybe a little cooler morning than a little bit warmer in the afternoon. Those zip-off pants, those are still really cool. Does anyone wear those anymore? The zip-off cargos? Okay, I got to go shopping tomorrow. Anyway, back to my notes. It's still a running joke with my brother-in-law and I. Whenever we see any line anywhere, even if it's just one person, <laughs> can you leave this line? the most magical place on earth, and everyone looks a little bit miserable. That's kind of what Jesus is doing here. He wants to make sure the crowd knows what it's getting into. This passage today starts with, now large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and said to them, this is pretty abrupt. Maybe some of us have traveled in large groups, and we've been bumped from behind as we're trying to move along, and we know that agitation, like, okay, I'm drawing the line here. We're going to lay some ground rules of what it looks like going forward. It can be a little agitating. 
But this large crowd has been following Jesus for a while. In fact, a little bit earlier in Luke, we, we read that this large crowd was so zealous in following Jesus that they were trampling one another. People following Jesus, trying to get close, trying to get near to him, amazed by his wisdom and works, are trampling one another to get a little bit closer. Hurting one another to get closer than the person next to them. Sometimes it's as though the followers of Jesus can get so caught up in how close we look like we're standing next to Jesus than how close we listen and live like him. So it's likely this zeal still defines the crowd that we find in chapter 14. They've seen the miracles, the wonders, the wisdom of Jesus, and they're drawn to him, of course. In fact, they're willing to leave whatever they were doing and follow him around. Now, it's not without any conflict or, or, or preview of what may happen coming down the road. Jesus' integrity, his identity, have been called into question a few times already earlier in Luke. Tensions are only rising. But Jesus' incredible work, his miracles, his wisdom, how he moves and answers to authorities, the crowd is enamored when things are going well. Some commentators have illustrated that it was likely a similar crowd praising Jesus as he entered Jerusalem, hoping he would overthrow the empire and the powers of the day, giving them the power, only to shout, crucify him, days later, when his arrival didn't look like they had anticipated. So Jesus is sifting through the crowd. Okay, who's serious about this? Who really wants to be my disciple? Now, disciple is an interesting term, a term we don't often use very much anymore. Uh, maybe the closest that we have is an apprentice, someone to, to kind of learn uh, from maybe it's a trade or a skilled, uh, skilled craft, um, and just to, to learn the way and the work of someone who has a specific skill to pass on. Jesus is, is looking to the crowd saying, this isn't going to be a walk in the park. And so he begins to lay some terms and conditions Perhaps we're familiar with that phrase as we sign up for things online. Do you agree to these terms and conditions? Yeah, sure, whatever. Click on it. Yep, let's go. But Jesus wants to be very clear. I want you to know the terms and conditions of what it means to follow me. And so he gets to the passage and does not hate your family. That's a strong word, hate. But I don't think Jesus is talking about disdain or having an ill will towards certainly family or anyone around them. Because if we know the teaching of Jesus, we know that he has a deep, deep love for all those around him. So if we look a little deeper, we see it's kind of Semitic hyperbole. The word hate is, is kind of being able to draw a line in loyalty or priorities. Jesus said when push comes to shove, there may be a choice you have to make about following me and what that may look like. And it may look different or maybe weird, to use a super religious word, right? Weird. It might look weird to other people. Jesus places the idols that we can often find ourselves looking to. Family, tribe, marriage, ourselves even. These are all good things. But sometimes we can exalt them a little bit higher and Jesus, and what it means to live and look like him. These things by themselves, they are wonderful things, and these relationships should be shaped by our love for Jesus, whose love endures. 
And so when he says, if you do not hate, or if you do not hate your family, your mother, your father, your siblings, your spouse, you can't be my disciple. He's asking what your priorities are. Are you in this because you've seen some of this great work that I've done or heard some of the great things, or do you really want your life to be transformed? Because that's what it means to be a disciple, to be an apprentice. I'm taking on this life, this craft, this practice of what it means to follow Christ. And as I thought about and reflected on uh, how we can get caught up in uh, the term hate here, because to be honest, I got a little caught up in it as well as I was preparing for this sermon this morning. I began to think, you know what, maybe we don't get hung up on this because we actually might be a little good at this. Whoever does not hate, insert whoever was like, well, did you see what they posted online? I, I can draw that line. That's fine. I can, I can kind of mark them out of my life. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is calling us to a, a higher priority of loving him, and what that then means is going out and loving our family and our neighbors and those around us. I was struck by listening to some interviews uh, the last couple weeks. Uh, some colleagues put together interviews of folks that had left their denominations recently. And they all happened to be kind of in their 20s or 30s, and for one reason or another, they left the denomination that they came up in. The stories varied from uh, are varied, lack of, are varied for reasons of why they left, whether it was lack of support, um, you know, being told to kind of fall in line, or um, maybe some um, social issues that they differed on. Now the list goes on, yet. In the variety of reasons in context of how they left, they were constant. They chose to be loyal and their call to follow Christ, and they did so with grace. That even if they were kind of shoved out or treated poorly on their way out, they did so with love and grace and refused to talk ill of those around them. priorities. In all that we do, are we willing to show and display the love of Christ, even when it's inconvenient, when the lines get long for macaroni and cheese? Which somehow brings us to the price of lumber these days. If any of you have done any sort of home remodeling project or just walked around Home Depot, whew, okay, I'm good. No hot dogs here anymore. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head out, and I'll see you guys later. Cost is what we give up to acquire, to accomplish, maintain, or produce something. And Jesus is saying the cost of following me can be a little high. And we've, we've went through a, a remodel project at our home, and between delays, supply chain, cost of goods going up, it was just, we were left kind of spinning. Like, okay, look, we thought we kind of had things laid out of what it would take to do this project. But as the story goes, life happens. A pandemic can hit. Supplies and supply chain can get messed up. And there are different ways to build, to use quality material versus maybe something that's not as sturdy or structurally sound. The right process versus cutting corners. How do we want to be transformed? How do we want to become a disciple of Jesus? Do we want to cut corners and then leave as things get a little tricky? Are willing to put the work in and become solid 
and strong disciples of what it means to live a life of love and grace. In the process of becoming his disciples, Jesus states, we also have to learn to give up our possessions. Oh, but stuff's so cool, though, right? I love my stuff. I like my things. I don't want to give those up. But Jesus also states that we need to acquire a yearning to love those around us. We're not just losing our possessions, but we're also losing and letting go of our petty jealousies. Yearning for things that maybe get in the way of living a life modeled by the love of Christ. And sometimes when you take on some of those projects, maybe you take away some of the drywall, again using the uh, home remodel analogy, um, as the drywall goes away or whatever project you're working on, you realize maybe the thing wasn't as structurally sound as you thought it was. And so more work, more foundational work needs to be done. And that is the beauty of what Paul is writing in his letter to Philemon about Onesimus. He's challenging both sides to confront an awful, unloving, yet somehow accepted truth. Onesimus was a slave or a servant to Philemon. He had somehow gotten away. And this is perhaps maybe the first time that Philemon has maybe heard of Onesimus or what has happened to him. And so we can imagine there's a, a number of feelings that are going through everyone in this situation. Maybe there's some anger, some frustration, some broken trust on both sides. We don't know enough details, but we know that Paul is here and challenging both to reconsider a societal view or norm that has been cast on all in the situation. There's so many questions. Had Onesimus disappointed Philemon, or had Philemon promised something to Onesimus that he didn't fulfill? We don't know. But we just know Paul is inviting them both to come together and build something new together. See, the construction metaphor, it's fascinating. Discipleship our apprenticeship entails building, whether it's a skill set or a, a new perspective or new view. And one of the articles that I read this week posed this question, do we have the labor, the capital, and desire to build this new community of God's Spirit? You see, when Paul makes his plea to Philemon to receive Onesimus, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. He's challenging Philemon to hold and honor the new tie, to prioritize this new bond in Christ above any legal demands. Their relationship was to be conditioned by love, not by law, and now they're linked by faith and love and grace. Building. I am by no means an architect. Whenever I even say the word architect, I think of George Costanza and him pretending to be an architect on Seinfeld. And that is the closest I can relate to being an architect. Uh, dear listener, he's not an architect. He just pretends to be on the show in case you don't watch Seinfeld. But I've been always struck by this quote 
uh, from an art critic talking about architecture and building. It says this, when we build, let us think that we build forever. Let it not be for present delight nor for present use alone. Let it be such work that our descendants will thank us for it. And let us think as we lay stone on stone that a time is to come when these stones will be held sacred because our hands have touched them. And that, will men, and that men will say as they look upon the labor and substance of them, see this our fathers did for us. When we build, may it not just be for present use alone, but mindful of those that come after us and those that have come before us. Um, certainly we build physical structures, but we also build, we talk about with apprenticeship skills or um, I can't help but think of the gentleman standing behind me, Reverend Dr. Joseph Novak, and watching him build endurance preparing for a full marathon here coming up shortly. And the hours and the time, yeah, you can, I, saw, I saw a little applause over there from the family, that's very nice, yeah. Um, it's incredible, the, the dedication and time you have to put into it um, to build up the endurance to run, uh, move, I, I, I don't even like driving 20 miles, and he's going to run over 20, 26 miles, so um, kudos to you, brother. <laughs> um, but it doesn't happen overnight. It takes work. It takes knowing um, certainly what your body can handle training-wise, but also nutrition, and it takes a change in lifestyle. And so there's certainly a large level scale of what it takes to, um, to build something, but also building things of building things like a skill set of like running or building a recipe. It takes intention. Um, otherwise, you're like me and there's just a bunch of flour on the countertop and you're like, I don't know what this is going to be, but here we go. But if we're intentional, if we prepare and if we know and if we kind of come behind those behind us and learn from them, we're able to make and build something beautiful. I'm not a runner. Well, I'm, I'm not as good of a runner as, as Joseph. I'll just say that. I get out there sometimes. But I went up to northern Michigan to run a, a 10K a few weekends ago. I was able to stay with some family friends uh, in, a, in a cabin up in Elk Rapids. And it was a beautiful time together with, with these family friends. And I got to hear a little bit of their story that I didn't know before. And part of this cabin, uh, there was, as I have mentioned before, when projects can go awry, multiple delays, leaky pipes, when I say leaky pipes, like they came home and the kitchen was entirely flooded because um, it had burst open. To the point of uh, the, the kitchen and living room addition that they added to this small cabin up north, um, her father passed away before it could be completed. But he had the peace of knowing my family's going to get to enjoy this for years to come. And sitting up there and getting to enjoy sitting in that living room and sharing stories with that family. It's an incredible monument to building and living well. So what are we building? And are we building just for today? I'll leave us with, uh, not Paul's trumpet, unfortunately, um, but just a, a closing thought of, of my family. Um, if you look in the, in the back of your order of worship, the flower memorial this, this morning is for my grandma. 
who we celebrated her life uh, not too long ago. And what I want to say is that this church was incredibly supportive and loving how they stepped in so that we could remember and celebrate a good life that built a great foundation for our family moving forward. And so sitting there with, with Paul and, go, and laughing about memories, about going up north, um, you know, silly stories of um, my family likes to eat and we're pretty sloppy, and so being in South Carolina and having food all over our faces and, and things like that. I'll spare you the details, but now that we're all disgusted. But as I thought, as I began to reflect on Yvonne's father and, and my grandparents and, and just the lives that have spoken so much life into me, but every day is, is a brick in the foundation that we hope to build tomorrow. We're given supplies to build for today, tomorrow, and beyond. So what are we building? And may we build it well. I speak to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.